perfect. Um, yeah, no, it's funny seeing your uh, like default screen. I kind of want to imagine it's the skeleton avatar <laughs> that you I do have. I I wish I could be a skeleton. <laughs> Life would be so much easier. I'd be so happy. Would it be easier? I don't know. It's really windy where I live. I feel like it would be a lot more <laughs> more bone chilling than it is. <laughs> I'm already so pale that people like ask if I'm all right. So <laughs> I feel like a skeleton might be an upwards movement in my overall health. <laughs> I I don't know. I feel like you you already uh, radiate. I think a, a more positive glow. I would say than just a skeleton <laughs> can pull off. You definitely have uh, a lot more going for you. I think than than that. <laughs> Welcome to the program. The hit program. Uh, here comes the backlash. Miss Deddy, Miss Deddy, I guess I should say, Audet <laughs> with a zero. Welcome to the program. It's so lovely to have you here. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. This is like literally a dream come true. I'm not even joking. Um, Deddy, I've followed you probably on at least two or three accounts, I think, over like very uh, different, I guess, kind of maybe eras or incarnations. And <laughs> um, you've just been, yeah, you... I don't know you have been so consistent and so like interesting and you're just really uh quite a delight and a presence on my timeline um you are not a skeleton actually anymore you're what are you currently what's your default photo it is a it's a painting I enjoy yeah. the skeleton greatly uh it resonated with me but I got to a point where I realized that it was time for a change. And what's interesting is after I changed it, which was not in an aim to get more engagement, I feel like I noticed like a, a massive increase, maybe because having the kind of half poorly cropped black and white scribble wasn't very appealing in this visual world. So you know. I was just going for a change and it seemed to work so i stayed with it but it's a monk meditating on a skull so it's still a memento mori so i felt like it wasn't too far of a divergence oh my goodness i love that i didn't even notice the skull mm -hmm. uh, oh my goodness yeah. i wonder was it like a really cool esoteric painting that signaled <laughs> to the dc yeah. elite that he <laughs> to play <laughs> You know, it's the the first one had always been a, a memento mori too, and then I just felt that was maybe the next evolution because I feel that it comes across that a lot of what I do is kind of just a, a meditation on your place and the universe, the world, and then the matrix of the uh, Bank of International Settlements. Oh my goodness, it's so funny you say that. You really are. It's um, I don't want to say like. Clutter is a bad way. Clutter has bad connotations. No, it's kind of like, I understand what you're saying, though. I understand. Well, honestly, well, I have a secret religion. I, I don't talk about this often, but it's called Garbology. I developed it when I was working as a movie theater usher, cleaning garbage and eating it, honestly. And I realized many things, actually. So, like, no shade in clutter, right? Uh, but, like, you have a lot of ephemera. I don't know, just cool stuff that you're kind of... That's like a parade of, like, esoteric, <laughs> interesting, really factual really relevant um historical esoterica i guess i'd call it i don't know it's it's a joy it's been a delight the land of the lost theater kits <laughs> anyone who couldn't tell i was the technical theater nerd kid which probably explains a lot about me well no it kind of actually i would say no don't i mean everyone's a theater kid on the <laughs> 
honestly. <laughs> uh, but I feel like it's more, t- it's kind of Burrosian, or I guess, it, I don't know if that's really a term, but it's sort of cut mm-hmm. up technique, actually, because you do, you kind of, um, you shift from topic to topic, I guess. I was explaining to my uh, my husband uh, about your account because he's not really in the Twitter like sphere per se. And keep him pure. Keep him pure. Yeah, no, he. I mean, he's he's dipped in it now. We we met on Twitter actually in 2012. Like, so if you <gasps> believe it, like many. Oh many my years goodness! Ago. Very. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that was not a thing then. Um, yeah, but anyway, um, it was a different. That was a purer time too, though I guess. <laughs> in many ways, but yeah, you're kind of a Burrosian, like a kind of technique. Uh, eventually, over time, you've kind of cultivated this. I don't know this steady sphere, and it's really, really cool. Oh my goodness, you're being very generous. Uh, part of it is I just never, and I mean, still, I've never made a dime off of Twitter, but I, I never did it to try and purposely create any sort of image. I was just posting things that were popping into my head and I've always just kind of kept with that where even if I think something may be controversial or alienating I still just say it because I'm not I don't really have any skin in the game and maybe there's something to be said for having skin in the game and maybe I should but to this point I feel like it's always just been an outlet for me as a rather I think people are surprised when I meet me in real life. I'm rather shy and tend to be more reserved with my thoughts and opinions. So the medium has always just been for me in particular, just a good outlet. And that's why I just saved up from thinking whether it's going to garner me scorn or light praise. You've gotten like, think both I've witnessed before <laughs> and we'll, I want to talk about that and a little bit. I think um, what I did want to tell you maybe you'll be offended by this hopefully not no please no say whatever you're thinking (laughs) it's not that bad hopefully you give like a rory gilmore vibe to me and it's (laughs) like like a spooky kind of wednesday adams like rory gilmore and i love that i don't know like is that unfair (laughs) that's not fair i'm laughing and i don't look like this anymore but when i was younger i mean every day in school people would walk up to me and say you look like Rory Gilmore, so I have this instant groan that I do. I don't mean it to, oh my but no, I I understand. Rory Gilmore was your uh, Mary, like what they used to. Oh my goodness, love it. Um, no, and you do talk I, about like grandmother. I feel like a bit on the TL. I I do. I've talked about it less, but yeah, she is a strong independent opinionated lady from another era a different era that uh, I only wish I could have witnessed (laughs) but I'm very blessed that she's still around to impart her sometimes biting yet always illuminating wisdom with me I absolutely love it. Send um, all the love from Here Comes the Backlash to your lovely grandmother. And I feel like, yeah, you, I don't, yeah, I miss that era as well, unfortunately. But you're, you're still, I don't know, somehow through the way you cultivated your storytelling there, I don't know, there's something about the kind of mental worlds that I think we create for each other that has a power, I feel. And so you've, I know you've mastered that. It's part of the daddy sphere. It's part of the kind of world that we get to like inhabit when we uh, engage with your posts. So um, you're a true, I think a true legend and it's wonderful to have you. So thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to see what we jump into this evening. Me too, because I feel like you know basically 
basically everything. I know I know that's not really possible, but you, um, I do feel quite a handle on a range of topics. But I was hoping to talk about the economy a little bit. I really did want to bring you here, I think, under that pretense at first, because there is kind of like a lot going on with it. Um, it seems kind of turbulent. I don't have a lot mm-hmm. The game. I'm basically. I told you before, like, oh, I'm a tech worker, but like, that's a very recent uh, development. In my uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure, sure. Let's just put it this way. I've uh, no, truly, like, um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, don't have this lust. There's no uh, glistening 401k that's uh, in this volatility, you know, at stake. Let's just put it that way. Um, the best case scenario for me is a complete total economic collapse. Actually, I probably have the best <laughs> advantage in that situation uh, financially, but there is a lot of talk about it, I guess. And like something happened at the Fed this week. I feel like they raised rates and you were, I feel like on top of that. Um, can you just tell me about, I guess, the lead up to that? Why were you so convinced that the Fed would like raise, I hope I'm saying it right, to raise yep. the rates You're and correct. The, <laughs> um, the, the 25 BPS, which I- Basis I, points. Oh, okay. I was wondering if there you go. dial up. Cause like, I remember on dial up on AOL, it would be like BPS. <laughs> and so I didn't know maybe if it had to do with that, uh, but that basis points we're, we're learning things already. I love it. There you go. Um, so what was the, what, why were you so convinced that that was going to happen? Oh my goodness. I'm trying to decide for brevity and clarity's sake where to start because I could start in 1913. I could start in 2008 or I could start a few years ago. 1913. I'll start start relatively recently. Um, So I was convinced because the Federal Reserve is the central bank of the United States. And of course, as we commonly hear, well, technically it's a private public partnership, which is what they do for every agency where they wanna convince people they're not being fleeced. So there are multiple central banks around the world. Um, Some banks that people may be familiar with just on a very basic level, you have the Bank of England, You have the ECB, which you commonly see, which is in reference to the European Central Bank. You have Bank of Japan, which you also commonly hear about. And there are many other central banks. These are all under the umbrella of the Central Bank of Central Banks, which is called the Bank of International Settlements. Recently, the Bank of International Settlements has told everyone, you need to get inflation under control, it's go time, basically. That's how I was very convinced that despite all of the turbulence, there would be rate hikes. So you had Lagarde at ECB announce 50 basis points, and then you had Jerome Powell announce 25 basis points. I was actually a little surprised. I knew he was going to raise. I thought it was very possible to be 50, but he went with 25 basis points. Um, I think there's a misconception that the Federal Reserve is in charge of all the central banks and they're the final backstop, but they aren't. The Bank of International Settlements is the final backstop. And Jerome Powell, uh, he he has a consortium of people he answers to. You know, he's not just <laughs> independently choosing the entire course of the United States. Um, I also always factor in And this is what I tell people all the time. And I know 
This is for a wide range of topics too. And I know this is controversial because we're in an age where people think that simply by reading something, you're co-signing it and co-signing with, you know, far right of fascism or capitalism. But I like to follow the comments of former Federal Reserve chairmen and of prominent bankers because that tends to be a pretty good leading indicator of what the decision is, um, because I actually do believe that there are powerful people who direct the world and it's not all just random chaos that perfectly aligns to allow the wealthiest people to always stay in power. So based on comments of people like Larry Summers, based on previous comments of Powell, based on the Bank of International Settlements issuing out to all the central banks that, hey, you have to get inflation under control, that is why I was very confident that they would raise rates. There's also a mathematical reason because every time in history, the federal funds rate has had to meet the inflation rate and order for inflation year over year to start coming down. And that's happened for many economic cycles. And they all know this, which is why back in 2021, I started very aggressively saying the Federal Reserve needs to one, start raising interest rates and two, it needs to start what is known as tapering, which is longer term quantitative tapering. So when you see the term QT, it's in reference to quantitative tapering, which is a drawing down of the balance of the Federal Reserve, which is how you bring down quantitative easing, sometimes referred to as QE, which is the process through which they add liquidity to the economy, which is, quote unquote, not printing money, a.k.a. printing money. That was the most lucid description of anything that's ever happened on this podcast to date so thank you that was incredible um and i have actually a million questions i um first just want to note i guess that bank of international settlements i was probably maybe famous to uh people in like my world of twitter as the big fat guy from the video that says uh, augustine carson's <laughs> we will have control over expressions of central <laughs> bank liquidity I put that out a while ago and not to say you know, that sounds very arrogant, but when oh. that first came out, I put it on and I said, this will happen. And now I've seen this video circulate a million times, but yes, that's, you're exactly correct. And it happens. No, and you Augustine have Carstens. You have been correct. So I'm not surprised that you circulate, yeah. that you share this uh, early because you uh, clearly you have a handle on uh, the workings of the, these kind of um, institutions. And I think that like, yeah, no, that one went really viral because of the CBDC, which really has um, mm-hmm. a wide consciousness. I feel like, uh, you know, thanks to kind of this, <laughs> I, I don't know, I proudly say anti-vax, like who cares, you know, but I know that makes some people uh, feel uncomfortable, but these kind of anti-vax media, kind of dissident media, quote unquote, it's another retarded term. I don't really, I don't really care to label it, but just sort of these um, other options outside of the uh, kind of main mm-hmm. binary of choices really have gl- like glommed on the CBC, maybe glommed mm-hmm. on that rude, but you know, really it's been important. And um, do you think that that's, do you think that's at play here with some of these actions that you're kind of describing this alchemy and these kind of manipulations of the, like the currency and the kind of these rates? Um, is, is that the kind of end game in your mind? Absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to think of how to express this. So 
throughout history, we've had, this is another term people may see, uh, when you see GRC, it's um, in reference to global reserve currency. And throughout history, since the 1400s, since we entered the era of post-Middle Ages, the age of international commerce and trade, you've always had a currency that is the dominant currency through which global trade runs. And it has a reign of 85 to 110 years through all of its iterations. And usually the country with the largest and most powerful navy is the holder of the GRC. And what happens is because they have the ability to accrue extraordinary debts because they're a demand for their currency, the empire grows. You get an elite class who becomes further detached from the basic polis. You get a very large navy that must sustain itself in order to keep hold of the global reserve currency because global trade as today has always run through international shipping lanes. And then what happens is you get an empire collapse. There's usually a large military conflict, including multiple nations. And then the global reserve currency switches over to another nation state. So the United States is in the historical period where we are in the expiration zone. We're deep into the expiration zone already. And by 2031, if the United States remains the global reserve currency, that will break a historical cycle. Um, many of the quote-unquote adversaries of the United States are very educated, learned men who have studied history intimately and very carefully, and they're all aware of this. Uh, I think a moment some people may be familiar with, which recently went viral, was uh, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin saying we're coming up on, you know, in 100 years, we haven't had an opportunity like this. That's because in 1921 is when most economists pin as the moment that the global reserve currency changed over from the British pound to the US dollar, which would mean that by 2031, that would be a 110 year reign, which is the longest global reserve currency has ever last. And I think that many of these people are quite aware of this and know that this is a moment to seize. And they're aware that usually a large global conflict precedes the changeover. Wow. Wow. Okay. First of all, I want to note this. Uh, I want to know that Deddy mentioned the, uh, oops, sorry. Yeah, she mentioned the um, 85 to 100 years. I feel like that's important to me in terms of. Um, oh, yeah, not to be rude, 110 years. Just sorry, so. yeah, well, 110, I guess. So the record would yes. be like 100. We would be entering into uncharted territory, essentially. Yes, at 2031. Yep. What's to be made, I guess, of these cycles that are kind of on this global uh, sphere of finance or, or world economics, it kind of almost does seem to suggest to your earlier point that the world is uh, maybe not chaotic and that there is maybe an inner structure to it that is uh, less apparent to the naked eye. Well, I have, and there are several theories of thought on this, and I don't want to pretend that I, I know where I have the absolute right one. I think that as I alluded to earlier, the 85 to 110 year cycle where the early 
since the 1400s and the Portuguese is because economy is still always tied to resources, natural resources, um, the resources of a nation state, so the energy and will of its people, um, its political economy, its religious economy, and then its military. And I think that at a certain point, you exhaust the full extent of that empire and you enter the decline and then you enter a changeover period. It's very difficult to sustain a completely dominant navy, a completely dominant currency and a complete dominance over other nations and the will of trade. Uh, I tend to fall into the camp of kind of what some people call extreme materialism or some people call it material realism. There's all sorts of terms. I don't worry about that too much, but eventually your ability to maintain a military that can spread out over the whole world and to maintain a balance in your country regarding the balance of the social classes and the movement of goods and the benefits of holding this global reserve currency tends to just naturally reach a tipping point and a point of exhaustion. In my personal opinion, there are several different theories on this. That is interesting. I would say even, I guess, without uh, a grand conspiracy, quote unquote, maybe it's still interesting mm-hmm. because there is this uh, cyber, maybe, yeah, I guess, cybernetic or this inter- independent system that kind of operates quote, global finance, global economy mm-hmm. that um, is kind of being defended by these different, you know, navies and mm-hmm. being, uh, occupied is like on the, the seat of the throne, you know, from time to time, I guess, by different nations. But um, whether or not they benefit from it or not, this kind of system exists without them. There's this kind of great greater whole um that's fascinating i don't know yeah and then not to get too uh i know some people don't appreciate this constant move to full circle philosophy but this entire cycle started with portuguese trading and paper money coming from china so there are some who believe that the closing of the cycle would be a return to china since it is chinese inventions including compass technology, paper money, gunpowder, which kicked off this entire cycle to start with. But at the same time, I understand some people who think that's either offensive because of it alludes to mysticism or they feel that it's a little bit too cloy. However, I've always thought that was very fascinating. And there were so many times when I finally started truly understanding these mechanisms and how they work, where I thought, this should be printed in the, like, I've taken so many history courses, and this is what should have been printed in the front, because it fundamentally changed my understanding of basically hundreds of years of European war and history, where I think if I had gone in knowing at this point, this country held the largest and most powerful navy and had the currency that was most used for global trade, I would have had perhaps a different understanding of how these conflicts played out and both their genesis and ultimate conclusion. That in full, first of all, this is a full circle podcast. I would say like uh, the the crazier and grander and more elegant the design, I would say of this, the theory or the way that the world works, the better, because um, you just described something to me that's 
I've realized, I guess, over time, which is like, yeah, just the importance of having like kind of this lens or this uh, framework, no matter how ridiculous that you can apply and how uh, just uh, yeah, how dynamic that can be, how much that can change your perspective. You're also speaking, I think, a bit to like, I want to say forgotten, yeah, forgotten history, I guess. I don't know. I think there's the way history is told. People are so naive about it to me because they think if it's in a history book, it's like, I don't know. That's how it, how it was. And I don't know, to me, history is clearly, it's very much a, a narrative, right? It's from somebody's perspective. Absolutely. And I think young people now, and this is becoming a very popular topic of conversation is we're taught this idea, or at least I felt myself and my peers were taught almost this idea of a forever progressive forward march and everything happens and it leads to the next and we're we're taking these steps and we're walking this hill towards this end that's this utopia and as i became older and learned more things i i started to understand more that that's not necessarily true that empires rise empires fall at it almost to me as I became older, maybe this is what happens as you age, is you you seek for this idea that maybe things are a bit more circular and you're not just, you know, a decaying carcass, but this idea almost of like history and civilization breathing in and breathing out, that there's moments where empires ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. no no you're you're speaking my like you're speak you're speaking to my soul um as it like as an ancient millennial i guess i'll say i <laughs> um, i see the um kind of yeah what you're describing on a historical perspective you you start to see yes as you get older in your own life you start to see the the circularity i guess of like of narrative threads really like things become quite different i don't know as you uh i guess as you start to to age and, and gain perspective i think and also maybe develop i guess your own uh mm-hmm. I guess worldliness maybe so to speak you inspire me there i feel like and i um wanted to ask you okay hold on let me pause there for a second okay I'm no ready. please take your time take your time <laughs> no you're moving me um i think i was gonna ask you about something you'd said about like resources of, a, of like a people you have posted certain things that re um remind me or evoke sort of this one text you might be you're probably familiar with called silent weapons for yeah quiet weapons for silent wars i don't know <laughs> it's a it's a document of dubious veracity i guess i'll say you know that kind of outlines this like uh i think rockefeller or rothschild plan for world economic systems i've read it like six times and like <laughs> Still working through mm-hmm. understanding it fully, but I have a, I have mm-hmm. a on it. I'm sort of a um I'm not an economician. That's uh not unqualified skill <laughs> of mine, but I, I'm a little bit of a I guess maybe jack of all trades. So I, I'm trying to understand it a bit. Um and I do kind of on a I guess very abstract level so far. But the theory mm-hmm. is kind of just about this exploitation of uh of people as energy essentially and how the world is essentially yes. functioned by a, a single current of energy almost in a, in a, mm-hmm. in a sense that's being exploited and certain things you've said or posted I guess really evoke that in my mind does that resonate with you no absolutely and a little thing that I very frequently say that I'm sure people are tired of hearing is you can print money but you can't print energy and you can't print resources uh, I think that especially as we've entered the new millennia, people have this concept where certain things appear to just almost have a magical quality. Or we think of the internet, um, cryptocurrencies, but all of these systems we use require vast amounts of inputs. And those originate in the real world. You have to mine, even the most green web startup or tech company requires 
incredible amounts of rare earth elements, of metals, of petroleum just to get going. And I think that we obscure from people, unless they're in an engineering degree or a systems ecology degree, how every single object we use is the product of the earth, of human suffering, of human energy, and of a massive supply chain. And I know that supply chains have become incredibly trendy over the past few years. And I think the pandemic kind of, for many people, brought the concept to them for the first time or maybe made it more concrete. But every single thing we use is, in my mind, this is, I know some people might think is a little woo, but this idea of like alchemy, where we take this metal from the earth, turn it into a product that we sell and turn into value. It's like modern alchemy at this point. But you know, every every output requires an equitable input. And as I've gotten older, I've absolutely begun to understand and appreciate that more. That, you know, this computer I'm speaking to on started in the Congo, and usually there's vast amounts of slave labor involved in that. In modern day slavery, where people have to drag these minerals out of the ground, transform them, goes through a supply chain, is assembled, brought to us, powered by electricity. Electricity can be, it's often just coal, the same for the electricity that powers these green cars that have, you know, thousand pound batteries. And it's given me a much more holistic understanding, which is why I think there's sometimes a misunderstanding where if you try to point that out, because you want to fully appreciate everything that went into something, all of a sudden, people begin to accuse you of, you know, wanting the environment to burn or being a a show for fossil fuels or that you're saying, you know, far right. It is, but every single thing we use is, is still a product or a byproduct of fossil fuels. And I think it's better that we're all honest about what's occurring in order to truly move forward instead of this patchwork system of quote unquote green fixes. But you know, until you go into the entire supply chain, then you really start to see, you know, what's occurring. And I think that's important. That's to me, the most important thing. It's essential to understand where all of our both struggles and where the things that make our life easier, I mean, what their products out and where they come from. You, that's because you, that's because you understand nature. I feel like you, I know you spend time in like spooky woods. I feel like <laughs> you have, uh, you seem to have a fundamental grasp on nature and reality in a sense of like, if there is such a thing in the sense of these like resource chains being derivatives of yes, of creation essentially, you know, and I think the people who have get angry at you or angry because they're captive in this mentality that denies essentially nature or or wants to alchemize nature I feel like in a way like take nature to the entire system of nature to the next level and own it in this really grotesque way that we see only beginning to manifest unfortunately in various uh products and services being shopped around I guess I'll say and countermeasures that we see in the uh in the world like the vaccines and and different gender surgeries I would say are all part of the same symptom of a denial of nature or a, a aggressive transmutation of nature. I, I don't mean to go down too much of a rabbit hole there, I guess, but other than to say that you seem to really grasp that these um, 
the world the world gives us these things and, and you're right it's the way we do it is not great fossil fuels are probably not the best option but if we're really going to have a true green solution and not the fake you know corporately underwritten one that's being proposed i feel like we really have to come to terms with the na- fact that we are part of nature <laughs> absolutely and also but i don't know if people know but this is part of and i acknowledge that i'm very extremely lucky and grateful to have had these experiences but I get slightly offended when people say I'm being anti-science or anti-data because my grandmother is actually an anthropologist. And even she gets mad at me sometimes that I tell her, you know, I tell her, I'm so glad you raised me the way you did because she has a very intimate understanding of what is required to create a civilization. And she would do a lot of reconstructive archaeology, which is where you, using the materials available to the people at the time, craft what would have been their materials and fuel sources so I was raised being shown like how do you have a civilization well you have people who find water and they find a riverbed and in that riverbed if you start digging you find clay you pull up that clay and then you can shape it into a vessel well the vessel isn't watertight so you go into the forest next to the riverbed you chop down a tree And you create a kiln and you can fire that and now you can hold water and now you can hold materials and now you have the building blocks of a civilization. So I was extremely lucky to be given this very ground up holistic view to understand just the totality of human civilization and how complex it is. And because of that, how absolutely fragile it is and how there have been so many civilizations that rose up and fell that we have some record of, that we have almost no record of, that we have an extreme record of, like with the ancient Egyptians. But I've always felt very lucky to have had that experience. And I wish many people did. And I wish we we taught our children in this manner, because I think it's very useful in terms of helping you have a more realistic perspective and also a perspective that can help you build even greater and larger things because you have a more total understanding. What you're describing is essentially yes the like the, the divine plan i guess it's like feels sounds cheesy to say that like i this is not a religious podcast although i am a i guess <laughs> officially a religious gets on that job but like i feel there's like, nothing wrong with that at all it's, well I've, it's my own church so that's kind mm-hmm. of problematic to begin with and yes yeah, mm-hmm. so, 
anyway, that's neither here nor, nor there. Um, but yeah, I feel like there is this divine plan that's, you know, there's a system to nature, I guess, is what you're kind of describing. You don't even have to be, I guess, into quote unquote God. I don't even really like that term per se myself, you know, but like there is a system and it's um, a, first of all, it is exploitable. It is being exploited. I feel like, um, without our consent essentially that's what i feel like is happening on our planet today um and you're mm-hmm. also just kind of describing just um i don't know yeah you're right that the lack that we do need to raise kids that way because the lack of connection with that just further and just further removes them from the wonder that is existing around them i mean we don't let them see the sky at night really anymore with stars in it like how can you really have like i know a sense of you know that kind of like i don't know miraculousness of the of the cosmos i don't know it's really sad yeah, it's both people are taught to be detached from nature and also atomized and detached from each other. And I think that's very unhealthy. And I think it's the genesis of a lot of current manifestations of illness. And I think we get into this place where people think that means you're denying it or saying it's not real. But I think people need to understand that there, there's usually many issues can have both a societal grounding and like a chemical grounding but you may be predisposed to something and then if you're placed in an environment which furthers that then you could have a greater expression of a disease or an imbalance and i don't think that's anti-science at all i think that's actually the definition of science so i think we just need to be more all of us need to be more open-minded and understand that something is real and we're not denying it's real but we need to look at what are the possible multiple causes and can be can one be amplifying something to a greater extent because that's how you can actually help people it's that is beautiful and i as you're talking, like I'm picturing just the fact that we're talking via this like incredible screen and just this process of the of the world and it, like the acceleration and how how much of that like kind of transmutation <laughs> took place in order for this to be, even be possible. And it makes it like mm-hmm. sparkle and dazzle almost in a way. And then someone will hear this later and like listen to our conversation and maybe learn something or be touched too. Like that's that is that's science to me. That's spiritual science, I guess, maybe in a sense. And it's um, I don't know. It's sad that people are being, I don't know, just that I feel like a lot of the reactions, and maybe we can talk about some of the reactions you've gotten um over time. I guess <laughs> that's maybe a good saying, but like the reactions that people have to things that you say they're so guttural because I feel like they're so yeah or maybe visceral they're they're really strong because Mm -hmm. of this this fundamental disconnect because I think they are being deprived of that um that need that fulfillment with with the order of things I guess the times that you were right on Twitter and people tried to like gaslight you it was it was bizarre I've never seen anything like it and I kind of told you earlier it it lessened my faith in humanity a little bit I think around the fall of 21 when you were discussing some of these things that we're really seeing really play out now like about inflation and really sounding the alarm on so many things and people were like accusing you of treats like wanting to get treats or whatever there was this whole treats discourse that was like launched partly in response I feel like to you um what do you feel when these people when you get this kind of like really rough like backlash from people um who are so angry at you for being right (laughs) i and you know the thing is i'm not even always right it's just that it's tricky too because i understand through a computer screen you know there's a level of disconnect that's always 
going to be there. And on one hand, that can be useful. It can help foster this kind of anarchic environment where people aren't afraid to, you know, say just whatever they're thinking and they don't feel these social confines of people saying, well, you're not qualified to say, you know, there's benefits. And I myself have experienced that. There's the negative effect where, I mean, people will speak to you like you're not a human being with feelings, which can be rough. And I mean, I don't want to like, there is so much negativity that I don't even really, I mean, I, I don't even know. A lot of it happened off like public view. I had people create entire group messages just to like send stuff so they could all come at me. And then the fascinating thing is, you know, whenever people like really don't like you in a way that means that they have like a fascination. So I would have people would be in groups who would send me messages of like the groups to be like, look, because I guess they wanted attention in some sick and perverted way. Like they got some kind of pleasure from it. I don't know, but it was very bizarre, just very intense. Um, I had people create groups where they would say like, ha ha, let's drive her nuts. Because a lot of people which I still don't understand, but they're free to have their thoughts. Like a lot of people are convinced I was fully detached from reality. And they're like, you're crazy. Like nothing you're saying is even true. And they would create groups to like target a campaign against me, but I could see it. And people would tell me about it. Um, One of them, like they would send me random numbers in the middle of the night, like a string of random numbers. Cause they thought that it would drive me to insanity. Cause I think like aliens were sending me numbers And it was just, it was mostly bizarre that people thought I had no capability of rational thought. I think if anything, that's what mostly perturbed me, but just very intense. I mean, so many things, but I've kind of just moved on, but it was very, mostly it's just a sense of confusion. Like Sometimes I'm curious, I'm like, could you tell me what were the initial things that made you fully loathe me as a person and want to destroy my life? Because I've had people just gotten a lot of death threats. I've gotten a lot of people just basically telling me I'm everything wrong with the world and the universe itself. But I don't know, at the same time as when I, when we began our conversation, I mentioned like I've never really had an agenda I've just said what I was thinking at the time I wanted to express like maybe that kind of helped because I knew well I'm only saying this because that's just what I genuinely thought and I've never you know made a financial profit off of any of this so I'm just going to keep saying what I'm thinking so it helped me maybe sail through it a bit but it was very intense the odd thing too is though like people can tell you this it then kind of tapered off And it's true, if you don't add fuel to a fire, sometimes that helps extinguish it. So there were a lot of things where I just like completely removed myself from certain groups. I had never been a fan of blocking, but I realized like I've got to block everyone in this group DM because one, they're all telling me who's in it. So like it's whatever, I'll just take it, I'll block everyone. And that seemed to like tamp things down a bit. Um... And then the odd thing was there was a resurgence around with Russia because people were furious at me for saying 
things that, I mean, even NATO generals were saying. And then what's interesting is when people tell you, like, there's no way by next week you'll be wrong. If it turns out you weren't, you know, no one comes back to say, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I have like, it's so funny. There are multiple people like, this is the end. Like in, in one week, Russia will declare total collapse. You just wait and see. And I said, sure, you can come back in one week and yell at me. And, you know, it never happened and they never did. I'm not going to go follow them. But yeah, that was just, it was fascinating and bizarre. And I don't even, I don't know. It was, and also at the same time, there's a lot of people who can say publicly like very hurtful, cruel things to you, and then privately they're like messaging you (laughs) interesting messages. So I don't even know. I think there's a slight, maybe in a weird way, like uh, some kind of romantic aspect to it, or some kind of very bizarre ritual. I I'm not even sure. I'm sure Freud would have something to maybe to say. I feel like, okay, first of all, I'm sorry you went through that because that's awful. And I, um, yeah, I'm sure, no, I'm just, it, it's awful. I'm sure like just knowing the, how people get on the internet and when anybody with like, you know, anybody with any kind of uh, clout whatsoever gets involved, the stakes become higher and things just get like kind of psychotic. So even if it was not hot button issues and it was just like run of the mill drama, it would be really rough to go through. So <laughs> the fact that it was over, really, I feel like kind of worldly uh civilization kind of threatening issues like seems kind of it makes the stakes that much worse i guess i'll yeah. say and it makes it was me- just bizarre because i was like i care about humanity like i legitimately do which is why i'm saying like we need to be very aware of where this could lead because it will harm many people and that was apparently like the proof on <laughs> incarnation of satan or something i don't know that was that was the worst part is like when you genuinely have good intentions and it feels like that almost is worse to have good intentions because it's going to make it, it's going to amplify the backlash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel, okay, you don't have to comment. I want to lead in credence to this theory of mine, but as you described this campaign, there were these campaigns against you. I was like, this sounds directed almost, maybe trusted news type oriented. Um, and then you're describing this numbers being texted to you. And I'm like, no, this is so retarded. It's probably the DNC. Like that sounds like it's the people running occupied Democrats. They outsource their gang stalking, like the operations to that guy, like um, Dax or whatever his name is. I don't know. Like, I feel, uh, do you feel, oh no, you don't comment. You don't have to comment on that. But um, it just, it just seems really, given the, the circumstances and what you were so, um, correct or at least like so uh you're countering narratives you're providing counter narratives to things at really critical times that did uh, kind of expose flaws in those narratives and so i will just say i wouldn't be surprised if there was um strangeness going on in that regard you know? i don't know and you know also people were things were done to the entire i mean the entire population has been under mass psychological warfare for so long that i think that's part of too why i kind of just move forward because i'm like it almost more illustrated to me the importance of you have to speak truth if you feel that because mm-hmm. people's minds have been turned into a prison and a very poisonous place and it's not good it's not healthy and i have noticed too that and i i mean this has in any community but i think twitter and i understand like i'm i <laughs> 
I'm not a perfect person and my brain is can go to very dark places. But I think it especially like Twitter and these like text-based mediums attract people who are like, you know, going through it sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I think that if you have someone who's already not in a good place mentally or is struggling with various addiction issues, that can really amplify it. Because I I've noticed a lot of times like people who said really like I just felt like they're attacking me and I couldn't figure out why like a year or two later they came out and said hey everyone like I've been going to you know this now or that or AA or I've been dealing with this or I'm not and I'm not saying that like to make fun of them like I'm genuinely happy they're getting better but I think that you all personally I was like I need to be aware that people are going through things and you never you never know what somebody's going through and I've always tried to like remember this in all aspects of my life like every person you interact with I always assume like I think I don't know the worst thing this person has ever been through that's causing them pain. So you need to always treat people with care and tread carefully because you don't know what that is. And that's often driving a lot of their reactions and thoughts. You're a very grounded person and that's a very like uh, grounded response and mature response. And I, um, I don't know, I commend you for, for that because you are correct. It's, that's a very humanist response. I told you this is a, a humanist, a non-secular humanist project. And I think um, that's always good to keep in mind that, that lessons from yeah. that here, um, a pro-social message. Yet you are right. There's been kind of some various state of emergency, clearly at least since I would say 9-11, we moved into a whole mm-hmm. phase of like what I would say reality. Like, I say I lived in a different world before 9-11 and I think COVID was the next like incremental or like yeah the next uh, iteration of this kind of like project Ab- almost. absolutely you no know? and then I don't know you kind of I think you said something today or yeah there was a video I kind of shared um it's Sasha Latapoya I think her name is there's this blog Bailiwick News investigation into this like military state that we're basically in and really like Operation Warp Speed. And it really actually the, gets to the daddy of it all, really, because the year, I feel like, project in many ways is uh, questioning, like, what is reality? Or what do, what do we what do we know what we know, I guess? Do we really know what we know? Maybe. I don't know. And it really is even the people who are very, uh, like, quote-unquote, red-pilled on COVID, I think haven't really glommed or grasped this uh, kind of development. What's your take on our current, like, occupied state so this is and i've noticed that this is entering more of a general awareness and discussion but every time there's an emergency we're told there is an emergency be afraid you need to give us more power more money more surveillance powers it's temporary but it's for your own safety and then what happens is the people who ask any questions of okay but this is serious like we need to talk about this it's how could you do this there's an emergency you want people to die you want horrible things to happen that's your enemy see anyone who's asking why we shouldn't just hand the government these powers which they make unlimited each time that's your true enemy and it becomes like a shame circle and then the powers, which were once temporary, get extended and extended again and extended again. And then it becomes the new the new norm. And then anyone who asks questions, it's, oh, why, why are you trying to change, you know, 
the general state of society. That's, that's very dangerous. That's very disruptive. Then there's another emergency and more powers are taken. And, you know, and it's people see this. I know they do. And I know it's scary because it's real. That means you have to admit it's real. But that's what concerns me. And the fact that I think the past few weeks with the banking crisis, you know, we have young people who have no hope, who are given ridiculous burdens and ridiculous debts. And you had a couple people who decided to put $500 million in a single account. And then everyone lost their mind. Washington, D.C., which works at a glacial pace, managed to rally everyone over the weekend. And we changed our banking regulations almost fundamentally. And most people don't even realize what's actually happened over the past two weeks now. But each day, there's like a whole new horizon. But that's what's so frustrating and so hard is to see that for the general population, it's we can never do that. Like, da, da, da. And then when it's a special group, all of a sudden, well, we, you know, we've got to all go into action. And if you ask any questions, you know, how dare you? And I don't know how, well, I don't want to say I don't know how much longer it could last because clearly people can tolerate the state for decades and decades. But it's very frustrating to see when your concern is the the good of the common man across society and that anyone who is concerned with that is somehow like anti-society and then anyone who questions what happens, the things that benefit the top 10%, the top 1%, that's just how things are. It's it's very frustrating. And I, I say this all the time, and I know people are sick of me sharing these <laughs> this data and these charts, but we are already in the United States in an oligarchy. 70% of the total share of that worth is in the top 90 to 100% of the population. I mean, that's an oligarchy by any definition. Because of Citizens United, you have money is now speech. So the same people who benefit the most from having regulations that can be changed are the ones who are allowed to outright purchase the politicians and it's legal. And that's just wrong. And I, it's very frustrating to see that along with what is very clearly a vampiric society where you have the median age of senators is 65, where you have young people who I'm so tired of seeing young people struggle for like 10 to 12 years just to even get okay. Like that's not all right. And I feel like a lot of the conversations we have about I mean, I don't think even any trad quote unquote discourse would exist if we didn't have such an unequal society that seems to have no concern for the young. And that should always be the top priority. We shouldn't be putting burdensome, burdensome debts on young people. We should be giving everyone health care. We, we should have the world's best maternal mortality survival rates. Like it's, it's just so ridiculous. And I think that's part of what's disheartening is if you care about those things that somehow you're some sort of dangerous dissident when it's very clearly an unequal society that's not working for anyone it's only working for very few people and uh, another thing I noticed is I get attacked like well it doesn't really work that great for a poor you know 65 year old and I say exactly that's what I'm saying in an oligarchy it really only benefits very few people which is why we need to talk about why are we distributing all of this wealth this way? 
why is money printed overnight for already the wealthiest and most powerful people while they take decades to relieve a relatively small amount of debt for young people? It's because they want to have the leverage over them. It's all a game of leverage. You know, if trillions of dollars of liquidity can be printed here, and then we're going to have knockdown drag out fights over a couple hundred billion here or there, or $1 trillion to give everyone healthcare. Uh, we're already burning the country down. Why don't we burn it down and be sure everyone has all the medical care they need? Why are we burning it down so a couple people can just hoard the wealth and they're just going to run off to another country when the whole thing collapses? And to me, that's just morally wrong. It's wrong on every religious moral scale. It's just wrong on a rational level, too. And I, it's very frustrating to almost feel like you're seen as an enemy for caring about that. Mm -hmm. Speak on it, Daddy, because I, <laughs> oh my God, like, yeah, no, it's something I complain about actually on this program often is how sad it is that people's goodwill is really what's weaponized against them, especially we see that in like COVID with the, um, uh, you know, with just everything, you know, we care about granny, you know, all this stuff about safety in the community and putting all this stuff first, like, sure, ostensibly, that's all good things. But it really, it's this, that's a good instinct to have. And it's horrible to see that weaponized against people to, and used to basically trick them to turn them against other uh, members of, you know, the, their society uh, to advocate for poisonous things for children that they really don't need i would say you see it with the lgbt thing i would argue where they're just keep going and going with and i, I am gay like i i am a bad gay you know i don't think that these um, things that are being done for kids seems right to me and i think the reason it's being supported is out of the same goodwill the same idea of like oh we have to do things because we were wrong before we were you know we weren't um we weren't correct in the past and so and i see it even on a level of like i love america like i actually believe like no this country is not perfect but i think that the uh, fundamental project of the uh of republic is important and it's like it's fundamentally significant to our like survival on this planet as far as i'm concerned and it needs to be like, for for whatever it can be and that makes me like a crazy like insurgent and like it, it it's just really sad i don't know so I, I feel your pain of like this like just inversion kind of of like humanity <laughs> Absolutely. And what happens, too, is I feel that the central, I mean, this is the central conflict now that's happened many times and not just what we're experiencing now is, people, like you said, people subvert the goodwill. And when you push things to such extremes that it causes the general population to then embrace things they never would have before, we then place all of the blame on them instead of saying to the people who were in charge before, well, your absolute blatant disregard for people and your mismanagement like you also bear some responsibility and anyone who studied history, like you see it happen time and time again. And I think that's not a conducive to growth mindset at all. Clearly, if this many people are pushed to something, they were having, I mean, society, they were being neglected and the people who were running things do bear some responsibility. 
they bear all the responsibility and it's your truth that they they are the ultimate gatekeepers of all of this and it's amazing how insulated they've been uh this i guess we, we they talk about like a gerontocracy or whatever but it's it's true it's the same people in charge they have been gatekeeping i feel like a lot of the these systems they it's it's kind of grotesque and what they've really gatekept i've realized is the idea of will and willpower from like starting, I would say with like maybe my generation, you don't see a lot of millennials and the ones you do are fake. Like Mark Zuckerberg is not real. Like that's clearly Photoshop. Like that's not a real person. It was a bad AI, bad AI art. I'm pretty convinced is what Mark Zuckerberg is. But regardless, I don't think he's a, a good faith actor who's just got to where he is as a millennial. You know, I think most millennials are kind of uh, like you said, either struggling or getting by through like nepotistic means, or even if they have ascended to some kind of quote unquote power, aren't really in power. They're in some kind of <laughs> uppeted position some sort of like these leaders we see around the world they're so popular uh with the with the wef like you know jacinda's and the and the justins of the world like it feels very astroturfed you know and what's happened i feel like is the ability to make things happen and to actually take action and to actually challenge power like those notions mm -hmm. are so gatekept and like if you read the declaration of independence in 2023 it sounds like a terrorist document you know it's like no this is the founding principle of our country it's like totally cool actually to say these things but like but you can't i don't know and it just um it it's scary because it's like this project that i feel like has been underway for a while of like just yeah cannibalizing or kind of just taking out the center of america yeah from within really feels like it's accelerated through these like bizarre campaigns these bizarre psyops and, and really military exercises that are being run it's just very it's it's really astonishing so i guess you're right i shouldn't have a lot of i shouldn't be too upset with anybody who doesn't want to join me on this um schizo crusade <laughs> Well, and to take it back to where we started, so in the past few years, I mean, as we've been saying, the past few years, central banks around the world printed tens of trillions of dollars. A process that was started with the great financial crisis, where they told everyone, we have to engage in this new exotic financial product called quantitative easing, which previously had only been attempted in Japan because Japan was crumbling in the 90s but since it's the key ally of the west and asia it was propped up and they literally invented quantitative easing out of thin air they said oh we'll call it quantitative easing and it's a way to frame money printing as an actual legitimate financial mechanism when it's printing money then after the great financial crisis they said you know what we'll inject liquidity we'll do quantitative easing and then they continued with successive quantitative easing rounds all through the 2000s, which has helped to fuel much of the current social disorder and unrest is because it's just printed cheap money. And it culminated in coronavirus where overnight they said, okay, we need more. And they printed tens of trillions. And that is the genesis, even though people can claim it's not, it's the genesis of much of what is currently occurring. And I just implore people to check their, what their central bank's asset balance is and just to understand the scope of this. It's not millions, it's not billions, it's not even trillions, it's tens of trillions of dollars. And of course, that causes distortions, not just through financial markets, but through the social fabric, because you have certain classes of people who benefit from this greatly. And therefore, they're very incentivized to perpetuate it and very incentivized to attack any opposition. 
Then you have people who are massively disadvantaged by this. And it creates just, to me, it's a very unhealthy, unsustainable type of global society we're building that's just fueled on trillions and trillions and trillions of printed dollars that are digits on computers. And for anyone who's trying to understand what's happening with the global economy, with the banks, with their local society, with their national society, I think we can place money printing at a pretty important nexus of all of these phenomena we're observing. That I, it's crazy that that's even a shocking, uh, you know, position to take. And yet I've sat in on some of these, you know, quote unquote, Twitter spaces that are, uh, you know, kind of more mainstream or whatever. And it's it, it's shocking. Like what you're saying is so, um, I feel like, ant- antithetical, yeah, to like the, the mainstream financial kind of uh, vibe or the, the message you get from those kind of networks and, and such. It's but you're right. It makes perfect sense. And, you know, it's funny because even I make fun of True or Not all the time. I think it's such a terrible show I, I nowadays, but I, I did listen to it at a time. There was a, there was a time I was curious about the the program. In fact, I will even say their propaganda right after COVID started was excellently produced. It was really well done. It was literal wartime propaganda. But even they were talking about the impacts of this then. I remember it. It's so funny to me now because of just the uh, shift of everything and it's interesting. I have questions about that, but it, it, there were time. There was a time where what you were saying it was not uh, unfeasible or even ridiculous, and it just shows the uh, you know the radical shift that's taken place in such a short time. I don't know. It's it's wild. Um, Daddy, I don't want to keep you too late. Uh, <laughs> I guess and so. I don't. I was to ask you about nineteen thirteen. I don't want to go too deep. I will say actually, when you mentioned qualitative easing, oh my goodness, it reminds me of Dr. Fauci in the sense of like this um, linguistic alchemy kind of, where it's just like everything's like <laughs> in words, and it's birds. Mm-hmm. So right, language is a virus. They went to Garden of Eden. They gave us language. It is a curse. Like I really, I. <laughs> firmly believe there is a better way to communicate <laughs> via the mental plane, but we'll, we can talk about that also later. Um, I want to ask you just a couple of questions, maybe just before we wrap up, like uh, okay. happier vibe, maybe just a little lighter vibe just to kind of um, round things out. I was just curious, like, when, like what's the perfect song for like, um, it's a morning, maybe it's a little misty and it's Daddy's like in the woods doing like esoteric artifact hunting perhaps or like known photography i don't know what's the perfect soundtrack for that film moment oh Mahler, i love Mahler. Mahler. any particular i know what i listen to i i people can tell from my feed i listen to npr because i want to know what people are thinking but i joke but i'm sort of serious the last bastion of civilization is the classical network I have the classical network on all the time. I just, I love it. And it's still kind of where you can just get a little bit of history, just beautiful music, and that's it. It's very simple. Um, Mahler, Beethoven, Mozart, very basic, Bach, anything that just can transport me to another place, I'm happy. But usually when I'm walking, I was joking too earlier. I'm crazy and I'm convinced Bluetooth headphones are like putting brainwaves in my head. So I actually don't use AirPods or anything. And when I'm out, I'm listening to the birds. Like as cheesy as it sounds, I'm listening to the birds and the deer and the squirrels. And if I'm in my car, I'm listening to the classical network. 
or I'm hate listening to NPR. <laughs> I love it. I feel like uh, the sound design will have a, a field day, literally, with the uh, <laughs> amount of workings for, for the Denny soundtrack. Um, I think, Jenny, it's just been, it's really been a pleasure. I um, I really don't want to keep you too late. I have five million questions. Actually, what really true or false? Do you know about Wantagate? Do you remember that? No. Oh my god, I don't even know. I'm maybe I do and I don't remember. I'm it's not sure what you're talking scrubbed. about. So it's been scrubbed. It's a it's a, it's kind of related to you know Nasara or the Jasara kind of conspiracies about sort of like these uh world trusts or funds that are due to the Oh yeah, the- you're making I feel like a novice. I don't know. Okay, that's fine. Actually, this actually confirms something that this has been best either memory hold or I did diverge timelines, which is one of my uh, <laughs> theories. And I might have some artifacts to bring to this timeline because uh, it's hard to find this uh, this journalism that was done. It's pretty out there. I'll, I'll bring it up. I'll, I'll share it with you uh, privately. Yeah, please, please, please do. Please do. Um, I, they, this has been wonderful. I would like to invite you to tell the listeners where they can find you. Um, just on Twitter, Daddy. It's just Audette with a zero and a D D E T T E. Um, I'm thinking lately that I should probably attempt to create some sort of centralized non-Twitter information source due to demand. But I'm a Luddite. But I, I think it's important. I know a lot of people have been asking, like you, about Bank of International Settlements, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel the spaces are tricky because they're like scattered everywhere. So I might have to do the world's like cheapest, easiest, straight audio, I don't know, audio recording device so I can share because I, I think it's really important to understand and it's the fabric of our society. So uh, I might attempt to do something there, but just follow me on Twitter for the time being, as long as you can possibly stand it. If you need to place me on mute, that's absolutely fine by me. I take no offense to it. Please, you would miss out on so much. I feel like you're, uh, <laughs> I realize you're kind of like an analyst artist in a way, I feel like, and I don't think, I think you should do a slideshow project. I'm picturing like old school, like glass. Oh, slide. like with the clippy, like PowerPoint with transitions. Like not even PowerPoint, like yeah, Microsoft, but like freaking, freaking old school with the cl- yeah, everything. Oh my yeah. gosh, um, that would be so like. I just picture this like symphony hall, and people <laughs> dressed up, and they're playing yeah, like yeah. music, and then the slideshow begins. It's like very dramatic clicks. Uh, would love to see it. Um, if you, I think you should embark on this audio project as well. <laughs> If I can support that in any way, please reach. I, uh, I get nervous because my voice is very high pitched, and it usually throws people off at first. So I think I, I feel more authoritative when I'm typing. Well, you it could be worse. You could have my voice and or be my listeners <laughs> have to listen to it. It's really unfortunate, but you know, someone had to step into this fear. The heavens did demand it. <laughs> Um, Daddy, I, I will literally, I could gush at you all night. I will keep you. I'm going to hang up the call. That's literally the only way I can stop. But I just, I thank you so much again. Um, I, this is amazing. I <laughs> thank you. No, thank you for having me. And I would absolutely be happy to do this again. And finish working here.